From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. The Senate this week is preparing to give final approval to a two-year budget deal that suspends the debt ceiling and raises spending limits. So now that the deal is done and almost sure to become law soon, we wanted to talk today about what, what it really means and how it will shape government spending this fall and beyond. And joining me to explain it all is Paul Krozak, CQ senior budget reporter. Thanks for being here again, Paul. David, great to be here, and thanks for inviting me. So these budget deals don't come together very often, but we seem to get them about once every two years. Can you just explain why this was necessary, what triggered this, and what exactly does it do? Well, back in 2011, uh, Congress passed a deficit reduction law that, that set defense and non-defense uh, discretionary spending caps uh, for 10 years, and uh, they were pretty low, tight spending caps, and Congress has been unable to live with them. And so Congress had passed three different two-year budget deals, which raised these caps two years at a time. And so, so they don't they just never have liked these spending caps soon after they were first passed and they keep raising them. They haven't been able to live with them and the um the way this 2011 law was designed was that Congress was supposed to find uh more than a trillion dollars in savings over 10 years in the mandatory spending revenue area and the the, the special congressional committee was not able to agree on that deficit reduction. So you had this process where um, where the caps were automatically lowered and lowered beyond um, below what Congress could live under. So yes. Tell us now, the, how much extra spending does this give them? Well, um, it gives them over two years uh, more than $300 billion above where the caps would be for 2020 and 2021. But if you compare, compare it to this year, 2019, it's a little more than $50 billion above that. So it's about a $50, $54 billion increase over where we are now. Okay. So it's not a huge gusher of new spending, but it does avoid all these cuts that would have come if they had to live under, this, under these old caps, right? That's right. And it is above um, inflation. It's about a three to four percent increase. Mm-hmm. Inflation is running below that. Um, some people thought that this deal would be um, would be uh, a tighter deal, maybe just allowing for an inflationary increase. It ended up being a more generous deal than that. Because of course they had a cut a bipartisan deal that would play to both parties, and Democrats have been pushing for a lot more spending than Republicans have wanted. Yeah, that's right. And this deal ends up being very close to what House Democrats wanted. Um, It's a little bit more defense than they wanted, and it's a little bit less non-defense than they wanted, but it's pretty close. And Paul, talk about the politics of this, because, you know, an extra $320 billion of spending over two years is not exactly the Republican campaign platform of, of fiscal conservatism. Well, that's right. Now, um, President Trump proposed a big increase in defense spending, but he wanted to actually cut non-defense spending. That was that was unrealistic. Right. Um, 
the, I mean, Democrats in general, in general, want to raise both defense and non-defense. And, you know, a lot of Republicans also, I mean, obviously they want to raise defense, but they want to raise non-defense as well. But the thing about this is that um, discretionary spending has been held down by these caps. And even when they raise the caps, um, discretionary spending has probably been held a little bit lower than it would have been otherwise if it grew by inflation every year. Um, the, the real challenge uh, with the budget is the mandatory spending and the revenue. Uh, Two-thirds of the budget is in these programs like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid right. and other automatic spending programs. This budget deal touches none of that. Not really, not really. And so, uh, yes, I mean, you know, Republicans, you know, style themselves as the fiscally conservative party, and Democrats would say they are too. I mean, Democrats want raising taxes to be part of the solution. Uh, Republicans in general uh, just want to restructure these mandatory spending programs. Um, the point is, discretionary spending um, is not really the budget problem. Discretionary spending is not really growing. It's the other two-thirds of the budget that, that is the problem. Yeah, and we, we heard that debate on the House floor last week, in fact, when the House passed this deal, because you did have some, some of the fiscal hawks come out against it, but, but you had Steve Womack, the top Republican on the House Budget Committee, come to the House floor and say, look, don't blame this budget deal for the deficits we're having because this, this discretionary spending is not what's causing the deficits, right? It's, it's really the entitlement programs which we're not touching. That's right. And so you have even the President Trump's chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, who, when he was in Congress, was a, was a diehard fiscal hawk and would, 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 would vote against these kind of things with, for extra spending, uh, come out just on Sunday, on Fox News Sunday, defending this budget deal as, as the best they can do under divided government. We, let's play a little bit of what Mick Mulvaney had to say Sunday to Fox News' Chris Wallace. How can Mick Mulvaney, budget hawk, support this? Yeah, uh, take our budget. Adopt our budget. The media and the press and, and the yeah, but and that's Congress always dead on arrival. I'm, this is the billion. dead on arrival is the word that everybody always uses. But if you actually went to look at it and saw what Donald Trump would do if he could pass spending bills, which he can't, you would be on your path to balance, and the deficit would be down. So when even a, a, a hawk like Mick Mulvaney comes out in, su in support of this deal, I think this is a, a done deal that President Trump is going to sign. Yes, and it's interesting because if you go back to the the last two year budget deal back in 2018, I. President Trump eventually he did sign that but he he was not crazy about that deal right. um, and one of the interesting things about this deal is that as soon as it was negotiated you know he came out and he said you know this is great this this provides you know more money for the military more money for veterans um, he he was very supportive of it in a way that he was not supportive of the last deal so that was a little bit of a surprise and, Paul, this budget deal was also triggered by the need to raise the debt limit. Right. Talk a little right. bit about that. Right. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the, the debt limit suspension had expired, and the uh, Treasury is living within, the, um, within its limitations through what are called extraordinary measures, accounting maneuvers, um, but the bottom line is that Treasury had earlier been projecting, um, and, and others had been projecting, that 
that the, the drop dead date for the debt limit would not occur until the fall. In other words, Treasury would not run out of money until the fall. Uh, but then the Treasury Secretary, Steven Mnuchin, um, came out and said it's possible we could run out in early September before Congress returns. So he wanted Congress to raise the debt limit before the August recess. And that really changed the dynamic. I mean, as soon as congressional leaders heard that, they knew that they had to get going on this um, and get an agreement before the August recess. This is, by the way, the earliest uh, budget deal that we've had. Um, the previous three budget deals came late in the year. And in fact, um, the last budget deal came not even late in the year. It came into the next year in February. Which speaks to how the debt limit really determines the timing of these things, right? I mean, that's what triggered it now. Right. I mean, exactly. The debt limit is the debt limit is critical. I mean, if you we've because never no defaulted. One, right. No, we've never defaulted on our debt. No one, no one in Congress, I don't think, on from either party wants to be the one who uh, is held responsible for having the first default in our history. Uh, it would be terrible for the economy. So therefore, they knew they had to act now because we should say Congress is adjourning by this Friday and won't come back until September 9. So if they didn't get it done now, uh, then they'd be coming back in early September, uh, at which point there was a risk of default already going to happen. Right. So, Paul, now that we have these new overall spending limits for the next two years, what happens with appropriations? Where do we go from here? Well, the, the House has uh, passed 10 of the 12 appropriations bills, um, but it's going to have to revisit those appropriations bills and cut some uh, non-defense uh, yeah. funding, $15 billion or so, um, because the, the cap for non-defense in the budget deal is, is lower than what House Democrats were using. Um, so they it, need a major rewrite, really. They have to make some changes. Um, on the Senate side, Senate Appropriations Chairman uh, Richard Shelby um, has not marked up any of the bills. He has been waiting for a budget deal to get, you know, definite numbers before he starts marking up the bills. So he's going to start marking up in September when they get back. And um, it looks like the first bills that will be marked up will be defense and then labor, health and human services, education. Those are the two largest um, appropriations bills. Um, yeah, they packaged those together last year. And so it sounds like a replay of that. Right. They probably will package those again um, and maybe add a third bill um, mm -hmm. and bring those to the floor in September and pass those. Now, the fiscal year ends September 30, so obviously there, Congress is going to have to pass a stopgap funding measure to continue funding of the government at current levels while they work out the rest of the appropriations bills. So we're looking at another stopgap measure, those continuing resolutions we know all too well, because they won't get their work done in time by September 30. That's almost guaranteed, right? There's no way they can... Get it's, all 12 bills done by then with it, only a couple of weeks when they come back. To, it's, it's totally guaranteed. Yeah. And, and rewriting the House bills is, is no easy task either because even though most of their bills are done, cutting $15 billion now out of their non-defense accounts, that's going to trigger a lot of fights, isn't it? Well, it may. I mean, they'll um, probably um, – it's doubtful that they would eliminate any programs entirely, but they'll probably find areas where they can – cut the spending a little bit, um, various, various programs.
but you're talking about trade-offs between housing programs and agriculture and and uh, education and health programs, and no one's going to want to give up their turf. Well, but remember, um, this is a pretty generous increase in the caps. Um, it's um, the uh, non-defense is being increased, I think, more than 4% over this current year mm -hmm. under the caps. So, yes, it's not as generous as where House Democrats had marked up their bills, but but I, when they marked those bills up, they were not thinking that this is going to be the final deal. This was sort of like the ideal for them, but That's they knew this point. wasn't going to be final. That's a good point. It would still amount to an increase over this year's level. It just it won't be quite as much as House Democrats had been hoping to get next not, year. Right? Not quite as much, but a, but a big increase, probably twice yeah. the rate of inflation. And, of course, uh, we're still going to have some some of these perennial fights that, that can trip us up every fall as they try to get these spending bills done, and that includes another funding fight over the border wall, right? Well, that's true. One of the interesting things about this budget deal, though, is there is a side agreement. And in this side agreement, all the parties agreed um, that they would, they would not put what are called poison pill riders um, or limitations on transfer or reprogramming authority mm -hmm. um, in these spending bills um, that were not in that are not in the current spending bills. So, in other words, new riders, new limitations on what President Trump wants to do with the border and the wall and so on and so forth. Uh, they agreed that they would not put those provisions into the appropriations bills. So, um, that's not a written agreement. That's basically just a handshake kind of agreement. But um, I guess I still have my doubts as to how good that handshake is going to prove to be. But well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, so we'll be watching when the Senate takes up the budget deal within the next few days, and CQ will be covering it all for you. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email. It's cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. My thanks again to Paul Krozak, our senior budget reporter, for joining me. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. See you next week.